Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed Pentecost season this Friday, August the 5th, as the light of Jesus shines on us from Genesis chapter 49. It is that final time of Jacob's life. We were very blessed yesterday with Pastor Martin Schulteis, really digging deeper into this blessing of Ephraim and Manasseh and and God choosing um, the unlikely, choosing the younger, choosing the weaker, choosing one that you wouldn't expect him to choose. And what a great gospel handle for us that he chooses the weak like you and me. And at the same time, he continues to bless his sons as he gets towards the end of his life. And that is important for all of us to remember, is that when we get to that that stage, whenever the Lord might have that to be, we pray that we are able to extend not only our names, but the name of the Lord upon our family. And that's exactly what Jacob does. So reminder, as he hear this, who does he focus on? His accomplishments, the accomplishments of his kids, or on the Lord? And may we do the same. For all you are listeners, I've been highlighting this week, maybe not highlighting, just mentioning this week that this will be my last full week here on KF, not KFUO, but Thy Strong Word. Um, I have been elected as district president of the Minnesota North District, which happened in May, which you might have noticed that I went from saying Messiah Lutheran Church to Minnesota North, and that has caused me to realize that I need to focus in and in my vocations, especially for my kids and my bride, to make sure that I'm balancing it all correctly. Now, that means that Monday, this next Monday, it will be my last study with you as host uh, with Pastor Reverend Dr. Phil Boo, who will take over. I will hand off the microphone, not literally, because we're in different different parts of the state, actually. Um, but for us to hand it off to him, he's an outstanding theologian, an outstanding pastor, and one that will always point you to Christ. I'm excited for KFUO, excited for Pastor Boo, who is a pastor at St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. And I'm also excited because I will continue on in KFUO on more of a part-time basis, and I'm excited to be able to move forward in that which will happen in September. So keep all that in your prayers, but today our focus once again is not on my name, not on our pastor's names or the church's names, but on the Lord and his name, our Lord Jesus Christ. So open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of that strong word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word, we welcome back Pastor Greg Alms of St. Paul Lutheran Church and School in Catonsville, Maryland. Pastor Alms, happy Pentecost, and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thank you. Always uh, always a pleasure to be here. I always enjoy it, um, uh, studying and uh, discussing with you uh, the scriptures. It's always a great time. Pastor, tell us what's happening for you and the work of the saints of St. Paul. Well, we're uh, um, celebrating, we're uh, doing VBS, Vacation Bible School, this week, so it's a, a noisy, busy, happy place this week. This was day two, and uh, three more days to go. We just got uh, tons of kids here, and lots of willing, hardworking volunteers, and just, uh, you know, kind of doing what we're doing. Uh, so, you know, uh, being in the Word, and uh, celebrating uh you know, the uh, the Word of God and how it points us to Jesus and how it points us to God's eternal love. And that just brings joy in my heart and uh, 
to see uh, the kids running around and celebrating and, and having fun is just uh, uh, a great time. Exhausting, but uh, for an old guy like me, but it's just wonderful. So that's that's what's happening this week. Where uh, I'm just very thankful for the volunteers and for uh, for uh, everybody who is pitching in to make this happen. And I tell you what, I like I love how you said that because I was speaking to a pastor this week as well, who said the true joy of something like VBS is that you place the gospel in these kids and adult leaders in their in their um, in their ears and in their hearts and they're able to see and to well he even said place not literally like a sacramental realm but to place the gospel right into their hands when they're reading the Bible and he said not all of them hear it and not all of them all of them understand it but that's exactly what we're called to do like you said exhausting but we're doing exactly what God has called us to do which is put the gospel into people's ears and for them to pray for the Holy Spirit to bring faith. So my, my reminder to our listeners, pray for those who are leading VBS. Pray for Pastor Alms as for strength the rest of his week. And also <laughs> that the gospel, as we know, the word never comes back void. And so we know the Lord will truly bless it. Um, Pastor, any, any other thoughts or anything else going on at St. Paul? No, we're just, uh, you know, lots of good people here, uh, congregation and uh, staff people. So um, we're moving forward and, um, you know, all uh, flowing out of those gifts that we receive on Sunday morning and flowing out of the Word of God and, and His promises. But uh, truly blessed. We're thankful. Uh, we're thankful to be here, thankful to, to serve God in this place. Wonderful. Well, Pastor, how about this? Uh, we'll continue to have those gifts be given this morning. So can you begin our time in prayer? Sure. Uh, let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, uh, you have promised to speak to us through your word, and we pray that that same Holy Spirit, which has inspired this word to be written, uh, might be in our hearts and minds as we read and consider and study and discuss uh, Genesis chapter 49, and we hear of Jacob and his... We pray that as we study uh, your work among your people in the Old Testament, uh, that we might know you are faithful and true and gracious also to us. Uh, bless our time in your word this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have any questions concerning our text in Genesis chapter 49, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Now, Pastor, everything happens in a context. I did say this with Pastor Schulteis, who is, well, we here's here's another fun fun reality here for you, our listeners, is that we've had three pastors basically from Baltimore in the last week. I I challenge if there's ever been a time that we've had three pastors from Baltimore in under a week on KFUO before. So if it whatever it is, it's a lot of fun. So, anyways, Pastor uh, Schulteis and I were talking yesterday about you know we always focus on the first three chapters of Genesis, which we should. But I'm finding great joy in focusing on the last three chapters and the promises that we are able to see that not only points us forward, but also shows how God was faithful in the past as well. So, Pastor, chapter 49 is always in a context. How do you want to start us off on the right foot? Well, I'm sure you, you talked about it with, uh, with Pastor Schulteis. But, you know, as you say, the, the end of Genesis, perhaps less familiar, especially, you know, the great story of Joseph and all the ups and downs and you know, ins and outs, and then, you know, ends with the reconciliation with his brothers and uh, Jacob, the reunion with his father, um, all just wonderful scenes, and then 
all of that kind of leads to to this chapter 49 where uh, Jacob and the uh, you know his 12 sons are on display and his you know his his concern for them and his blessing of them and his speaking the word of God to them and and so it really kind of uh, ties a lot of things up and also you know even if we tie together the beginning of the book of Genesis with the promise of the Messiah you know that promise of the Messiah is here uh, in these blessings especially to Judah too so uh, you know and and you get a lot of rich you know, it's kind of like a Bible study that's uh, pointing you to all these different sort of things that have happened in Genesis prior. And so it really is not a chapter that we go to, you know, famously or anything like that. But chapter 49 has a lot of rich stuff in it, um, kind of wrapping up the story of Joseph, wrapping up the story of Jacob as well, whose story goes way back into the middle of the book of Genesis. So tying up loose ends and, and uh, wonderful, wonderful stuff in the in the chapter. So as we look at the blessings, he he gives the blessing to Ephraim and Manasseh, and it seems like he's confused, but it's very clear he's not confused on what he's doing, is that he's blessing and giving this double portion to Joseph's sons and moving them forward by reminding them of what God has done in the past. And Pastor, I think that's a... A key thing, the summertime tends to be the time where many churches celebrate their anniversary. And you can speak, like, for example, I just went to an anniversary last week of 125 years. There's another church that's going to be over 150 years old uh, this year. And you listen to their stories and you hear a lot about the past, but it also just catapults you into the future. And and when we look at the blessings of Jacob, Jacob to his sons, I'm reminded of our own lives, of how we are catapulted forward when we are in the Word of God and we see God at work in the past and into the future. So why is it so important that we we hear these blessings of Jacob and catapulted his sons, but also it it pushes us forward in God's promises? Any thoughts on that? Yes, well, I think, I mean, I think you put it well. I mean, these, uh, the blessings themselves, uh, you know, have reference to the past and, and to past actions, both good and bad. Um, but, um, you know, as in chapter 48, also in chapter 49, the, the, the promises of God and the, and the mighty actions of God for his people are, are, are there, and that's what roots their, their faith in them. And then the, the blessings look forward. I mean, we have those, uh, that confidence um, in God's promises and in his Pax actions, but these blessings look forward so that, that we know that in the future God's promises are also going to be secure, and um, uh, our actions are going to be not always what they should be, uh, but God's word and uh, God's promises and, and uh, his, his actions are secure, and, and so you do. You have that past, and then the, the word of God kind of in through Jacob's mouth uh, to his sons, and then you, you kind of see the future uh, coming forward, and in the midst of all of that is God's uh, sure and certain hope, uh, the Messiah, uh, his promises uh, in the midst of uh, all of the variety of these different promises and different uh, descendants and the sons and the tribes, but God's word being firm and, and true. Well, let's dig into that promise of uh, the, the, the firm and, and uh, a strong and true promise that the Lord gives. Chapter 49, Genesis 49, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version, And we hear the word of God. 
Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength. Preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willingness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob, and will scatter them in Israel. So, Pastor, we have the first three sons. Jacob says, gather up, listen up. And you're kind of like, oh, this is going to be, it's going to be all just positive talk. But he doesn't, he doesn't quite do that, but it's also full of promise. How do you want to start? Well, I would just point out in verse 1, and although these are uh, blessings and, and it's headed, uh, the heading in the ESV says, Jacob blesses his sons, they're almost more of a um, prophecy than they are blessing. I mean, if you read mm-hmm. chapter 49, verse 1, as you did, you know, it says, gather yourselves together, I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. And a fine line, but in the scripture, especially in the book of Genesis, between blessing and prophecy but these take the, the form of prophecy, uh, really. They are truth-telling about um, what's going to be and, and uh, what's going to happen in the future, both to... Um, so, so that's a, the, the point to make about that, that mm-hmm. they're not just blessings. They're not just kind of like greeting cards, you know, on your birthday. I hope you have a happy birthday or, you know, <laughs> you're great or I love you or something like that. Uh, it really is the Word of God. I mean, through Jacob, uh, saying what is going to happen in the days to come. And so I think, you know, to, to recognize them more as prophecy uh, than blessing, I think is helpful to understand them as we, read, as we read through them. So, Pastor, we hear of Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. What are some of the... I tell you what, like you said, if it was just blessings, you're like, that doesn't sound like a good blessing. What is what is right. Jacob saying about these three sons of his? Yeah, I'm going to make one uh, another point before we get into that, and that is to, to, to also kind of remember as we read this that while these are, of course, historical people, they, they, they are, there are 12 sons here, and, and, and there really were 12 sons, of course, they're also he's also speaking not just of them individually but he's also speaking about them as tribes in other words these are individuals and judah is he's speaking to him as judah as that person judah the firstborn son but and simeon levi and so forth but his prophecy reaches forward even into generations so that as we read we are going to get some individual things but also some what we might call corporate tribal things, so that um, when he talks to Judah or when he talks to Simeon and Levi, um, we're also talking about the tribe of Simeon and the tribe of Levi and what's going to happen to them. The the name, when he says, Simeon, you shall be this, that, or the other thing, or any of them, he has in mind both them as individuals and also as tribes. So I think that's, that's helpful. So the three, Reuben, um, 
is firstborn, and, and this gets to what you were talking about a little bit, I think, with Pastor Schulteis in chapter 48, mm-hmm. where we expect the firstborn to be uh, certainly the laws and the customs of the time, even somewhat still today, the firstborn has honor, the um, firstborn was expected to take over for the father, and uh, all sorts of rights and privileges and honors, uh, and you know, God doesn't always operate that way, as we saw with Ephraim and Manasseh in chapter 48. Reuben um, is the firstborn, but as we're going to see, as we would see as we continued on in Israel's history, Reuben and the tribe of Reuben do not take on a, a large uh, significance. It's Judah, the tribe of Judah, which does, and Messiah comes from them. And there's some... Uh, reason for that on a human level reuben has some um some some consequences to his action that he took uh it says you know you went up to your father's bed he he uh you know he defiled uh his uh, uh one of jacob's wives really bilhah mother of dan and naphtali and so you know actions have consequences so and also we have this reversal theme as you got into before with, with Reuben. Um, and really that's time to just Reuben just to, to start off with. Well, and it's interesting because I think our first reaction, Reuben's the guy that tried to save Joseph. So we kind right. of read this and go, well, wait a second here. That guy, okay. He did that. All right. That, that, that's fine. Um, and also I'll say this sometimes in scripture, it's kind of hard to understand. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Why is he so focused on that when there's clearly sins of other patriarchs right. that seem to be almost worse, which, you know, that, that puts us in an awkward position at times. But in our minds, we're like, well, he wasn't that bad of a guy. He's the guy that tried to fight for Joseph and, and did all of these things. But right. ultimately, you know, he's still a sinner in need of God's grace. So other thoughts sure. on Reuben sure. as we look at that. I, I, he's a fascinating person in the 12 tribes. He is. He is. Again, firstborn and and, and Jacob acknowledges, you are my firstborn, my might, preeminent, and so forth. But again, like you said, a sinner, need of God's grace. And, and Reuben's blessing or, or prophecy is not excluding him from the church, so to speak. I mean, it's not mm. um, casting him out of God's people. It is saying, I think, you know, the things that we do have earthly consequences. And it is a reminder, you know, again, this is a prophecy. It's a word from God spoken through Jacob. And it's a reminder to Reuben and to Reuben's descendants, to us, you know, that we're sinners. The things we do, you know, they, they are going to have consequences and which means we need to recognize uh, what we've done and return to the Lord, our God in repentance. And um, I think that's, really the lesson I would ultimately get from from Reuben and from the words that Jacob speaks to him here. As we look at this, it then leads us to Simeon and Levi, two people that we don't necessarily, um, we know the Levites, you know, and Pastor Schulteis, I I keep going back to him. It it was, you know, you know, the Baltimore guys just overflow us with blessings. I'll say that as you are today. Uh, But he did bring up this wonderful Christ. uh, When you put your Christ goggles on with Levi, that the Levites never had their own home, never had their own land. And they're the ones that were chosen uh, to be, you know, representatives of God. And he pointed us back to Christ. It was just absolutely beautiful. Um, so for me, I still have this ringing in my ear 
that wow, the, the Levites, the Levi, you know, Simeon, uh, you know, has his, has his own blessings in here. And you're like, okay, here comes some good blessings, but um, well, it says not so many good things. So, what does it tell us about Simeon and Levi? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's these first two, um, you know, are are, are kind of uh, interesting because Judah, you know, pointing out a uh, you know, a sinful past for him. And then Simeon and Levi, again, you think Levi, the priest, like you said, um, Christ figures in, in that tribe. And yet, uh, Jacob, uh, points out that, uh, he, he points out a character trait of them, violence and anger. They've killed men, hamstrung oxen and, uh, talking about their anger and their wrath and, it seems to be a, a reference back to an to an episode back in Genesis 34, where they're taking vengeance for what had happened to their sister with uh, Shechem and uh, some um, and some pagans who were there, and and they devised a, a revenge and in fact slaughtered the, an entire town and uh, getting revenge for their sister who had been um, taken by by this uh, tribe. So. You know, again, and uh, there is uh, consequences. He says at the end of verse uh, seven, they're divided; they'll be uh, scattered. Um, uh, Simeon, as a tribe, later on in the history of Israel, seems to to kind of fade away, and then then they're absorbed really into the tribe of Judah. And so, and Levi, you know, scattered in the sense that they really have no no land. Um, I mean, there's different reasons for that, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, um, we could talk about law and gospel here. We could talk about the fact that, again, not a blessing in a sort of saccharine, sweet sense that we might think, like, oh, uh, but a truth-telling, you know, a prophecy. Uh, this is what's going to happen. Here are the, here is the truth coming from the mouth of Jay, from the mouth of Jacob, the patriarch, you know, um, uh, speaking on on in God's stead, really, on on God's behalf. And this is where, I've said this over and over, is that Genesis is very real, and in some ways, very frustratingly real. Because if you go back to the story you brought up about the defiling of Dinah um, and, and what happened with, with Shechem, is that you have, right before it, Jacob meets Esau. So you have this great reconciliation story. Like, wow, this is amazing that they were reconciled, that his attempts, you know, Jacob's attempts, attempts to pay off Esau, his attempts to separate his family just in case he comes to slaughter him. All of this was just gone, and there was reconciliation by the grace of God. And now they're able to move forward. And then you have the defiling of, of Dinah. And you're like, what? What's going on here? And yeah. so you get to that yeah. and, and you hear those stories and it reminds us that we all have this checkered past and Genesis is very real with us that, you know, if we're going to have any kind of feeling that Jacob had this very good and, and rightful, faithful story or even Abraham, um, especially not Isaac, all these guys, they did not have this perfect story that kept going up the mountaintop. It always was something that was checkered needing God's grace, and, and for whatever reason, Jacob is really hitting that hard at the end of their lives, and of course, God was going to bless that as well. And other thoughts for seven yeah. verses? Well, uh, you know, and you know, you said you've, you know, you've gone through the entire book of Genesis, you're going to finish it here before your, your tenure is up, and, and, and you're exactly right. It's such an amazing book, and it's, you know, um, 
uh, it's so sort of every day. I mean, you get real estate deals and you get people cheating and you get family sort of soap operas that are just unbelievable and, uh, you know, sorted. And, you know, you can't even hardly read them to your kids because they're so, out, uh, you know, so evil. And uh, but it's it's. You know, this is not mythology. This is not, you know, pie in the sky, you know, sort of made up stories. These are real stories, real people, real sinners and a God who takes sin very seriously, but never gives up on them, provides forgiveness, provides grace. And so it's, it's amazing. And, and, you know, the, the Dinah story, when you, when if you, when you're doing like a Bible study on Genesis, you kind of read that story and it's, it's kind of horrific in all its details. And then, as you're reading the text, there's no really it doesn't really come out and say you know that this was a wrong thing to do. It just right. tells the story. And there's sometimes there's questions. Well, what's going on here? Is this wrong? Does God approve of it? You know. And then if you read the whole story, here it comes. You know, there this thing that they did way back in chapter 34. Well, here it is. It was. You know, it it's uh, you know you might it is condemned here, and it's clear uh, that what they did was wrong and. And again, uh, there are consequences for it. And I think uh, we could say Jacob, as, as in Reuben, is saying, look, guys, you know, calling repentance, you know, here's, here's where you guys get hung up, wrath, anger, uh, you know, revenge. And, and, and this is not, you know, to turn this into a sermon, you know, this is not the godly life. You know, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to repent and, um, and, and watch for this uh, in, in your own life. Well, I, I want to continue on, but we need to take our break. We are studying Genesis chapter 49 with Pastor Greg Alms, and we'll be right back. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org And welcome back. We are studying Genesis chapter 49 with Pastor Greg Alms of St. Paul Lutheran Church and School in Catonsville, Maryland. Pastor, I think it's time for us to keep plugging forward. We have a lot of good stuff to continue with. So we are on verse 8 as we continue to Judah. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion. And as a lioness, who, rare, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. 
I think we're gonna have to wait on the wine and milk reference there in verse uh, in verse twelve because that one's kind of confusing. But up to this point, he gives some very strong proclamations of Judah and what he will do. What does it tell us? Well, I mean, Judah, uh, we want to remember, is the tribe of David. Uh, David is from the tribe of Judah, and of course, uh, David is the uh, is the messianic uh, um, he is Jesus is the son of David the Messiah and so Judah is the messianic tribe and this blessing this prophecy really is a messianic prophecy which in in several different ways interesting ways uh, points us uh, to Jesus it's um, so you know I think that's that's the main thing to get uh, out of these verses you know I mean I think there's three or four images um, that really point us to Christ. Um, I think the first one is uh, this, um, and, and this is in a couple of different places, uh, that, uh, that Judah is a ruler. Um, we get this in, in verse 10. You know, he has the scepter shall not depart from Ru- Judah, nor the ruler's staff. Um, and also at the beginning, your brother shall play, praise you, your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you, Judah, the tribe of Judah. And ultimately, uh, these is all going through Judah to the tribe of Judah to David. And ultimately, it's pointing uh, to, to Christ is the he's the ruler. He's the victor. He's the victorious one. Uh, he is going to come and ultimately he will he will rule forever. Uh, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, uh, meaning that. The, the ultimate ruler, the one who ultimately has the scepter and the ruler's staff is Jesus and um, will never depart from Judah. Jesus, a descendant of the tribe of Judah, also the Messiah, son of God, uh, will rule forever. I think that's that's the first sort of takeaway that I would get from that, from this prophecy. Well, and it definitely reflects that, that imagery of, of uh, a lion being God. Right, and it points us to that yes. the, the lion's cub and his prey. My son, you have gone up. So definitely, this roaring lion, even though it's sometimes referenced as the devil, um, but we hear that pointing us once again to Christ, who is fighting for us. This is a mighty fortress, is our God type of language, and reminds us that he will he will win the day. Um, I find it interesting a few references that we don't want to get too lost in the weeds in eleven and twelve is that we have a little bit of wine, we have a little bit of grapes, we have a little bit of milk. <laughs> and so, Pastor, it, you know, this just, just tells me, in a Bible study, we lose sight of the broader picture of Scripture, but then we get caught up in these little words. What would be your thoughts on 11 and 12 with some of this imagery that's a little confusing? Sure, sure. One more thing about the lion. I mean, oh, this please. does, uh, yeah, 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 the lion... Uh, reminds uh, Revelation 5, verse 5, or you really want to get into the weeds, we can get into the book of Revelation. But there is that reference, just a a phrase that is a reference to Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And so, you know, you kind of tie Genesis and Revelation together, where, and and it's definitely a a reference in the book of Revelation back here to this this prophecy. Jesus is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, um, connecting those two things. Yeah, and 11 and 12 are just amazing verses. I mean, chapter, uh, verse 11, you know, first of all, I think of Palm Sunday, binding his foal 
to the vine, the donkey's colt. We think of Jesus riding in again. You know, these are illusions. You know, I mean, I'm not saying it's a direct prophecy of Palm Sunday, but it, you know, it's kind of poetically. You know, you can kind of see it there. The the donkey's colt, Jesus riding in, and then washing. You know, you get two. I get two things, and I think you're kind of pointing to one of them in 11 and 12. To wash your garments in wine, vesture in the blood of the grapes. You know, I. I kind of see the suffering. I see it's almost violent language. I mean, I know it's not. I mean, it's not human blood. It's the blood of grapes. It's wine. But, you know, you. Get, I, I mean, I think that's in there. But And I think it's pointing forward uh, again in an allusion to, to wine, the blood of grapes. We think of Holy Communion. We think of uh, Christ shedding his blood. And, and then that blood of the grapes uh, is a, is a, just an amazing phrase, the blood of the grapes, because we get both the cross and we get the grapes, which are crushed wine that we drink. Um, so it is, it's, it's something else. And also, of course, I think it also alludes to the ruler business that he's, you know, because it's purple, right? I mean, the garments in wine is a purple color. The blood of grapes is purple and, and purple again, in an illusion, illusion, you know, pointing towards, uh, rulers, kings, uh, and that sort of thing. It's it's really uh, poetic, uh, prophetic, prophetic language, messianic, pointing ultimately to Jesus in uh, in these images that we see. And how could we not see that he has washed his garments in wine, which are imagery of that. Of, I've, I'm not a big wine drinker, but I have seen people spill wine on white clothing, and that does anything but wash it. And that's why, yeah, that's how, could, right. how could we look at Revelation, how could we not look at this and look at Revelation 7, which says that they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. How could this not also point us to Christ, as you mentioned, the, the Lord's Supper in the same way, that what would actually give us a, a dark blot on our clothing is what we drink to be made clean, and that one day um, we will be made completely clean uh, with that same kind of blood or, in our world, wine that reminds us, that not reminds us, but is the true body and blood that completely makes us clean. I mean, the, the imagery is just there to the future. Yeah, it's amazing. It's one, and I, I've never used that text to point us to the end. Never use this text for communion by any stretch. And But boom, I right. think it's right there. We could definitely use it and may the Lord give us chances to do that. Yeah, and it's amazing. Like you say, you always say putting your Christ goggles on. I mean, and to see, you know, to see the cross and the shedding of blood and to see, you know, as you brought it in, what is exactly right. Washing, you know, your, your robes and making them white in the blood of the lamb, that blood, you know, washes and makes us white and clean. And yet it's, uh, it's, it's, it's bloody, it's messy. And yet we wash it. And then again, then you get this uh, image of wine and the blood of grapes so that we receive those things and we are, we are cleansed. Exactly right. It's, it's an amazing passage. It, it, phenomenal. So there's even better ones coming up here. So we are in verse 13, <laughs> verse 13, as we hear more of the sons. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey, crouching before, between the she sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. 
So he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that the rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. So we have, uh, uh, excuse me, when I, when I read verse 13, I, I never get this name right. I, I would say Sidon when it should be Sidon. So just, I, you know, one of those reminders. But anyway, so you have Zebulun, Issachar, and Dan. What, what does it tell us? Well, I mean, I think some of it is, is, is um, I don't want to say pedestrian, but, but pretty easy to understand. Zebulon, uh, when, again, we want to keep in mind that these are individual prophecies, but also tribal prophecies. So Zebulon is, is talking about the tribe of Zebulon in the promised land. Uh, you know, when God um, divides the promised land and each tribe is given a portion of the land, Zebulon is uh, going to get a portion of the land which is near the Mediterranean, right? Uh, a haven for ships, uh, side and, and uh, on the coast. So I think that's pretty easy, straightforward to understand. I think Issachar, um, which I, I, you know, if anybody's out there choosing names for their children, uh, you know, or grandchildren, Issachar is a good one. That's, that needs to make a comeback, don't you think, Issachar? <laughs> I think so. Right. Well, I just had um, a, I, did, I tell you this, Pastor, I had a friend who named his son Zerubbabel. And uh, oh my gosh. like, wow, really? What's his, does he have a nickname? He said, yeah, Zeb. <laughs> so bring it back, folks, Zerubbabel. That's, our, that's the name, and Issachar. Bring it back. But uh, Issachar, I just uh, I think it's it's hard to know exactly. I think that the in what the words are saying is, you know, Issachar as a tribe is going to be kind of lazy. A resting place was good, you know, kind of crouching, kind of hiding, and and he becomes a. It says in verse fifteen, a servant at forced labor. I think um, he's prone uh, to to being the servant of others, not a, a strong tribe on its own, but. Um, serving others. Dan is interesting uh, as a prophecy because it points, I think, uh, what we see here is a, is a picture of Samson. Um, giant Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Samson uh, came from the tribe of Dan. Samson, one of the judges. And, um, you know, Samson, in his very weakness at the end of his story, you know, pulls down the the columns and greens a great victory over the Philistine and uh, Philistines. And I think that's in view in verse 17, although it uses this imagery of serpent, I don't think it's in this case, uh, evil or demonic, a viper because, you know, a serpent lays in the, in the ground, but if it bites a, a big, strong horse, um, it can bring that horse down and the rider falls backwards in the same way Samson, um, Though just an individual, and at that point had been blinded, his hair had been cut off, but he pulled down those um, pillars and, and gained a great victory as the building collapsed in the same way that a, a small serpent or a viper, you know, biting at a horse can bring that horse down and its riders. So mm. I think, mm. I think that, you know, I think that's probably what's going on there in that prophecy. You know, what I find very interesting is verse 18, which is Jacob in the middle of all of these prophecies, seems to be just kind of sighing 
And, you know, in the midst of all of this, you know, he's, you know, he's doing these prophecies and, you know, his, his kids, his, his sons aren't looking so great all the time. You know, we have Reuben and we have Simeon, all of these folks, Issachar turns out to be kind of lazy and, uh, and in the middle of it, he kind of long, he says a prayer, you know, in the middle of all of this, our failures, Lord, I wait for your salvation, you know, and that's sort of a, uh, it's, it's, it's just an amazing little aside, you know, it's just a human moment where I think Jacob coming towards the end of his life, you know, my kids, they're like all the other children of the world, you know, they're, they're weak, they're going to fail. And Lord, I wait for your salvation. I'm hoping I'm placing my trust Lord in what you're going to do. And it points us ultimately again to the fact that these prophecies, especially the Judah prophecy, is messianic and waiting for his salvation what jacob is saying really he's waiting for christ to come he's waiting for jesus to come as as he's even prophesied and you know on a practical level you know we get you know we even look around at our congregations our friends our own families our own selves and we can see you know we're weak and fail and and so we pray you know lord we wait for your salvation we put our trust in the one that you sent it, it reminds me, because we have a tendency to think that we're more anxious in our society now than ever before. And that might be true. How are you going to test that exactly? And I'm not sure. But I find myself, and I hear other people, that they are praying the same way that Jacob is. It's, it's like he's stopping in between these prophecies or blessings. And he gives that little prayer. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Because, well... Guess what? He's anxious, even though he's at the end of his life. He's anxious because yeah. what does this mean for my sons? What does it mean for my grandchildren and others? Almost he's saying, Lord, come quickly, which guess what? They were doing then, and we still do today. Uh, and, and I think that's just a good reminder for us. that I think this is a good prayer for you, our listeners, to have, is to be able to pray. We don't wait for the Savior. He's come. But we do wait for his second coming, and we wait on him, which, by the way, I don't like waiting. I want the answers now. So this prayer is for me. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Any thoughts on that as a prayer and when we might use that in our in our world today? Well, I mean, I think you hit it on your head. That's hit it on the head. That's exactly right. And you know, prayer to pray when you watch the news. Prayer to pray when you know you you open up your social media and you know or or whatever, and and things are coming at you and in your personal life, and you just as Jacob is doing in the middle of it, he just takes time and he just says, Lord, I wait for your salvation. Yes. And as you said, we're, what we're praying for is the second coming for Christ to come evil to end. And, and, uh, it will be, we have to wait. We trust, we hope that's the life of faith. Uh, we know it's sure and certain and, and, and we pray and just to take a deep breath and, and to say, I wait for your salvation. Oh Lord, it's, you're exactly right. It's an excellent prayer. Uh, to pray. And, and I think you're right. People have always been anxious. Maybe we're more anxious. Who knows? But you know, the prayer is just as fitting now as it was then. Let's keep moving forward. We are in verse 20. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow of by a spring, its branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attack him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. 
Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father, who will help you. By the Almighty, who will bless you with blessings of heaven above. Blessings of the deep that crouches beneath. Blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessing of your father and mighty beyond the blessings of my parents. Up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May he be the head of Joseph. And on the, on the brow of him who is set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning devouring the prey and at the evening dividing the spoil. Well, Pastor, he is incredibly short with some of his sons, and he's incredibly long with others. Asher, Naphtali, Joseph, and Benjamin. What do you have for us? Well, I mean, I think, like you say, uh, some of them go by quickly. Um, I don't have a lot to say about Asher and Naphtali. I think, uh, you know, I mean, we could say Asher... um, uh, and I, I'm going to confess, I'm looking at the Lutheran Study Bible, uh, you know, right. occupies a fertile area of Canaan. Oh, that makes sense. And um, Naphtali, um, uh, beautiful fawns, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, these are more, I think, you know, I don't think uh, Naphtali and Asher have a large part to play in this. Uh, you know, they don't stand out in the history as you read the rest of the Old Testament. And, and so they are uh, uh, blessings that way. Joseph, a longer blessing. Again, I think um, here that uh, I, I would see the main spiritual significance of these of this chapter in Judah. I think Joseph is uh, talking about the fact that Joseph as a tribe, Ephraim and Manasseh, are going to be uh, prominent. They're going to be uh, successful on a worldly sort of uh, earthly sphere. Um, you know, we hear about, uh, you know, um, you know, his parents, the blessings of his father, the bounties, uh, and his, um, uh, his success, uh, the bow, his arms are agile. Uh, Benjamin, uh, I think there is some uh, view here of Saul, who is of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, you know, battles and success and, uh, in battles and uh, Israel's success as a, as a nation. I mean, I think these prophecies can alternate between the spiritual and the messianic, and they also can have to do with worldly or earthly things. You know, we think of the commandment, you know, obey your father and mother, maybe long with thee, and thou mayest live as long on the earth. So, you know, Israel had both messianic prophecies, but also they had promises that had to do with their earthly life in the land and their success and their prosperity or not prosperity as they, as they lived as a, as a nation. Uh, there in, in, in that land. And it is interesting to to see how God blesses people, but it doesn't go into every little detail about the blessings. And I think that's important for us because how often have I tried to look at my blessings? It goes back to an old Bing Crosby uh, song, you know, count your blessings instead of sheep before you go to bed, kind of, uh, kind of mantra, which I think is good for us as Christians. But also, you're not always sure about all the blessings because many of the blessings happen and we don't even realize that they're happening to us and they're happening um, through us to other people. And so I love how some of it is as simple. Here it is. They'll be fruitful in right. the land. 
And, and that's good for us, too, is to say, I know that I'm blessed because I have Christ. Last Sunday, there was just the parable of the, of the, uh, the rich man who wanted to store up all his, yeah. you know, all his blessings in the, in, the, uh, in the barns and so forth, um, and the silos. And it just kind of says, how do we know we're rich? We're rich because of faith, faith that we have in the Lord. And may we count that as being rich, no matter what the Lord or whatever happens before us. Pastor, anything else about the 12 tribes before we get to Jacob's death? We have about six minutes left in our time. No, I think we're good. I think there's a, um, I think you covered it. Uh, and uh, no, I'm good. I think we can go on to, to the conclusion of this, of this chapter. Well, what's, what's, what's finished uh, Genesis chapter 49. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, and east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and, his, and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were brought from the hit for bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. So a very uh, kind of a quick uh, explanation of the end, but details that are very important to us because we know where he's buried, that he was buried. We know he, who he is with, which is the people of God, and and that, well, he was laid to rest in faith. Pastor, your thoughts on these last few verses? Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, again, the scope of the book of Genesis, you know, Jacob, um, all the way back to uh, chapter 27, and Jacob and Esau, and so, you know, I mean, that's almost half of the book of Genesis that Jacob, as a character, is kind of presiding over, and here we get to the end of that story, and he, the details are, you know, just on a, that he drew his feet up into his bed, you know, that he curled up, you know, I, I picture him in a sort of fetal position, he's no longer sitting up, he's draw his feet into the bed, and he breathes his last, um, and uh, there are other details, but the one I think that is really interesting is this phrase, uh, that he is gathered to my people. He says it in verse 29, I am to be gathered to my people. And then in verse 33, he breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Mm -hmm. He's talking about his burial, but being gathered to his people uh, speaks of being reunited with people who are, in the language, speaks of people who are being alive. He's gathered to his people, and he is being gathered. He is being uh, brought into the communion of those who are living, that is the faithful. His, and then he mentions, you know, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Leah, and those are his people, and they are the people who had, um, you know, had been called by God, had faith in him. And so whether we're, ta you know, talking about his burial, and there is some interest, of course, uh, about his burial place, he is, has interest where he's going to be buried, uh, he also confesses his faith in the fact that he's going to be gathered to his people. I think that's a phrase um, that speaks of eternal life, and it, it speaks of 
the the reunion of the saints to be with his people and uh it's it's a pregnant phrase and i think it's a a nice phrase it's an old testament way of speaking but it is a way which um confesses uh the resurrection and the eternal life even as he is being buried uh in that um uh field in in canaan in the promised land pastor as we look at all of Genesis, we, we come to this point, like you said, where another patriarch is gone and we're able to say the God of your fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which we will hear continuously throughout the Old Testament. <coughs> Excuse me. When we get to the end of this chapter, uh, we'll just ask it this way, is when a patriarch dies or like our own beloved member dies or a family member dies, we can have this feeling that, well, that's the end. You know, there's, there's, there, okay, you know, what we had is now gone. There's no hope for the future. With only about three minutes left in our time, how would you encourage our listeners that even though you lose a patriarch or matriarch, that guess what? God is still at work. How would you encourage our listeners and encourage them in Christ? Well, that's an excellent question. Yes. And, you know, in congregational life, in family life, you know, you can, you can feel like you've come to the end that, you know, so and so dies and things are never going to be the same. How can, how can we go on as a family or, you know, so-and-so was the heartbeat and the pillar of the congregation and now he or she is gone. And, and, you know, it's, you know, how can we go on or how can it be ever be the same? But, you know, here, Jacob, who has really been hovering over the story since uh, Genesis 27, you know, is gone. And yet this is just a prelude to the mighty works of God. I mean, uh, Israel is going to be in slavery. There is, these descendants of the tribes are going to be enslaved in Egypt, and yet God is going to do mighty, un, unbelievable things to bring them out. He's going to give them, bring them back to the promised land. And so while here in this moment, of course, for, for his sons and for uh, the people surrounding him, this was a terrible moment, I'm sure, though they were comforted by faith in God and by the promises that he indeed had spoken. Yet, you know, they couldn't even envision, I'm sure, on a human level, uh, what God was about to do. And it's the same for us. We encounter uh, things in which we feel like we're weak, small, uh, you know, um, the world's so strong, the church is disintegrating, and yet uh, God in his promises, God in his word, as you said, I think, at the beginning of this our time together, God's word does not return void. Mm-hmm. He is, his promises are sure, and there are so many things he is going to do. Uh, and, and we take comfort as we read the story in the context of the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Jacob's death and burial is, is, a, is a moment, and yet it's a moment that leads to the next moment in God's promises in the future, as he has outlined, especially to Judah and the Messiah, uh, which are yet to come. Pastor Greg Alms of St. Paul Lutheran Church and School in Catonsville, Maryland, giving us God's strong word from Genesis chapter 49. Pastor Alms, thank you for bringing us his gifts. Well, thank you for letting me be on the program, and and God's blessings to you as you enter a new uh, phase in your ministry that God has called you to. I I know you're going to do a wonderful job, and I pray God's blessings on you and the people and the congregations of Minnesota North. Uh, uh, may God's Holy Spirit guide you and bless you in the days and weeks and years ahead. 
Thank you, and to you as well. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finnern. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.